Today I'll be reading uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 through 14. Verse 8 says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth, testing what is pleasing to the Lord. Don't participate in the fruitless works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it is shameful even to mention what is done by them in secret. Everything exposed by the light is made visible, for what makes everything visible is light. Therefore, it is said, get up, sleeper, and rise up from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Thanks, Christian. Okay, let's turn to John, 1 John, chapter 1. Not the Gospel of John, but the letter of 1 John. As we continue our study, uh, this morning we're going to be picking up in verse 5 of the first chapter. And as we turn there, and as you find that in your Bibles this morning, I want to Um, share by way of introduction a very insightful observation by G.K. Beale of Isaiah chapter 6, and this will connect. It's not a rabbit trail to start. Um, But in Isaiah chapter 6, it's that amazing chapter that many of us will remember where the prophet has seen this this vision of God uh, seated on his throne. And it says the train of his robe filled the temple, and there's smoke, and there's power, and, and the whole experience that Isaiah has there in the throne room overwhelms him. It makes him aware of his sin. It makes him aware of his brokenness. And as the seraphim are proclaiming, holy, 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 Isaiah is undone by it. But then the Lord sends the angel and he cleanses his mouth. He cleanses him for the work that God's calling him to. He cleanses him of his sin and he's atoned for by God. And he's commissioned by the Lord's, as the Lord his ambassador in, in Isaiah 6, 8, where, where God says, who will go and speak for us? And Isaiah says, here I am, send me. I'm ready to go. You've cleansed me. You've commissioned me. You've done what I need. And now I can go and represent you to your people. And as he goes to be ambassador to a spiritually blind and deaf people, G.K. Beale observes the following. What you revere, you resemble, either for ruin or for restoration. What you revere, you resemble, either for ruin or for restoration. He draws our attention in that picture to idolatry and to how the nation of Israel, who have worshipped blind, deaf, and dumb idols, have become just like them. They can't hear. They can't speak. They're resembling the thing that they worship. However, Isaiah, as he comes into the presence of the Lord and allows the Lord to cleanse him of his sin, resembles God. He speaks, he hears, he understands, and he goes as, the, as God's ambassador to his people. And so what Isaiah reveres, the Lord, he resembles and it restores him. It's, it has a restorative power, not only in the moment of, of salvation, but it has a continuing restorative power through sanctification. We understand this as Christians now. We understand how that works in us. Our individual character, which is the mental and moral qualities that are distinctive to each and every one of us, So our individual moral character will not be determined by who we wish or aspire to be, but by the character of the God that we worship. That's very important. It's very important for us to understand when we have so many idols that are calling to us on a daily basis. We won't be determined by what we wish that we were. We will be determined 
by the character of the God that we worship. If we revere anything or anyone in this life that is not Jesus, that is not the true God, we fail to fulfill our created purpose and ruin will be the outcome because we'll resemble what we revere. And if it's anything besides God, it will ruin us. But if we resemble our reverence, our worship of God, if we resemble the God that we worship and it's the one true God, then we will be restored from our brokenness into eternal glory because of the work of Jesus on the cross. Amen? That is the beauty of the gospel message. If our character is shaped by our worship of God, the one true God, then through the sanctification of the spirit, we are restored to him and completed by him and presented to Christ as his bride, his church. Character matters because it's not subjective. Our character matters because it's not subjective. And here's what I mean by that. It's the reality of who we are. John Wooden said it really well. If you follow college basketball back in the older days, John Wooden, this amazing coach for UCLA, said this, be more concerned with your character than your reputation because your character is what you really are while your reputation is merely what others think you are. It's a powerful statement. Be more concerned with your character than your reputation. Are we? Think about how social media has changed the landscape for us in this regard. How often we want to present ourselves as something that we're actually not and how that gains us a lot of admiration by other people. How that makes other people feel in regards to who we really are when we see these pretty snapshots all the time. We see these beautiful pictures. I don't know about you, but I don't wake up first thing in the morning and I don't want you to see that. My wife shouldn't have to see that, but that's what God gave her. You guys, we need to be more concerned with the character of who we are. Our character is who we really are rather than what our reputation is. With all that being said and thinking about this in light of who we're resembling, resembling what we revere. If we're to be men and women of godly character, we must be those who embrace who he is and allow him to mold us in his image. As Paul says in Romans 8, 29, for those who he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. God called us church as believers to be conformed into the image of Christ. Think about the opposite of that in Romans chapter 12 when Paul says, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your minds. Over and over again, we're told that we're to be conformed into who Jesus is, not to look more like the world that's around us. Christians, we aren't trying to make ourselves look weird. We're being sanctified to look like Christ. He does that throughout our lives. The character and the nature of God the Father and His Son Jesus is what John continues to declare here in 1 John chapter 1. He's drawing our attention to who we ought to be in Christ. And this isn't condemnation. Don't hear this as, well, I'm not that at all, so I guess I'm terrible. That's not what he's sharing that with us for. He's not trying to make you feel bad about who you are. He's trying to point you to Jesus who can change you from the inside out. Whom God is conforming us into the image of as our lives go on, as we progress. And we'll talk about that more as we get deeper into the text. We're going to do all of three verses this morning. Are you ready? I'm excited. I'm always excited. First John chapter one, verses five through seven, we read this. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. 
and there is absolutely no darkness in him. If we say we have fellowship with him, and yet we walk in darkness, we are lying and are not practicing the truth. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. This is the word of the Lord to us. John continues to use the words heard, seen. He's testifying of his experience with Jesus. Don't forget the context as John writes is he walked with Jesus. He lived life right alongside Jesus physically for years. He saw all those things that we talked about at the end of the gospel of John, where he says, if all the, the, the books in the world would be filled with the things that Jesus did. There aren't enough books, he said, to contain the amount of things that he said and did in his life. John said Jesus lived it out loud all the time. And he could write about it forever. But as he emphasizes what he has heard and what he is declaring, these are things that he is not making up or formulating on his own. His declaration is a declaration of who God is. Not what we wish him to be, not his reputation, but the character of God. This is the character of who he is. God is light. He's testifying of what Jesus has taught and revealed. He's declaring these truths to the church to solidify sound doctrine and to free us, to free us to fellowship and complete joy as we talked about in verses three through four last week. This isn't just to put us in little camps or groups that agree on things. This is to free us to fellowship. When we come down to this understanding of the character and the nature of God, and we're worshiping him and he's he's conforming us into the image of Christ, we fellowship together as one. It brings church unity. It's the thing that God desires for us. And so here's the message that's being relayed at the onset. God is light and there is absolutely no darkness in him. He is light. We learn so many important things about who God is, about his character through this statement. And I want to highlight a few of them for you and point out some scriptures to back them up. When we talk about God being light, we need to understand this. The first thing is God is self-revealing. God is self-revealing. If he is light, he is self-revealing. Light brings clarity and it reveals. You would never inspect your kid's room to see if they did a good job cleaning it with the lights off. And you certainly wouldn't walk into it. It would be very foolhardy to walk into the kids' room with the lights off. We've all stepped on the Legos. We know what it feels like. We've all seen them move the furniture to make forts and not tell us. And we even know the example of what our spouses will do to us, pulling out bins and leaving them in the middle of the floor on a Sunday morning in the dark so I can trip over it and almost die. That was, that was not in the notes. You guys, light brings clarity. We turn on the light so we can see it reveals. To understand that God is light is to understand that he wishes to be seen and known. Did you catch that? God wishes to be seen and known. He wants you to know him. He wants you to see him. He reveals himself to us. You guys, Jesus made this so clear in John chapter 8, verse 12, where we read this. Jesus spoke to them again. He says, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus was the revelation of God in human flesh. He revealed himself to us. God wants to be known. He is not hiding. As we worship and walk with Jesus, we come 
to a realization as well. And we're talking about that conformity from Romans chapter 8 as we are conformed into the image of Christ. Think about it this way. As Jesus is light, he says, I am the light of the world. And John says, God is light. Did you ever think, does that like draw the connection for you, for those of you who are with us as we studied through the Sermon on the Mount? What he says we are? In Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16, you are the light of the world. Huh. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand. And it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. God is light. Jesus is the light of the world. We are the light of the world. That's a pretty powerful connection, but doesn't that make sense when we consider that we resemble what we revere for either ruin or restoration? If we are resembling the God that we worship, then we are the light of the world as well. Church, that's pretty powerful. And, and I think what, what we need to ask ourselves is, am I the light of the world? Do people see the hope of Christ when they look at me? Do they give glory to God when they see my life? When they look at the life that I'm living? God wishes to be seen and known. He has never been better seen than looking at Jesus. He has never been better known than listening and observing Jesus. And the church is to be the offshoot of that. It should be said, the same thing should be said about us. That if you want to know what God looks like, that if you want to see his character and his nature, you should look at the church. You should look at transform and that you would get a vision of what that looks like. And again, this is encouragement. This isn't like to make us feel like we're not doing our job. It's to ask the question, are we, how can we do that better? Are we a city on a hill? Are we light shining in the darkness of this, this place that God has put us in? For God to be seen and known through us, we must be light. To be light as he is light in a world of darkness, to resemble the character of Jesus, to make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching these new disciples to obey all the commands he has given us as Jesus commissioned his disciples to do at the end of Matthew. He's called us to teach and to train and to raise up believers. It's our commissioning. As God is self-revealing, we are to reveal him to the world. And what else do we learn about his character through the statement of God is light? We learn that God is also pure and holy. We learn that God is pure and holy. It makes sense why John adds the statement, there is absolutely no darkness in him. It's one thing to say that he is light that he reveals and all the things that light entails, but to say there's absolutely no darkness in him draws our attention to holiness. It draws our attention to purity. In other words, there's no flaw in God. There is no fault in God. There is no sin in God. And the reason this is so important is because a lot of times as people, when we look at the world around us or we try to make sense of things that we're going through, we humanize God. In other words, we draw him to a fallible state. We draw him to a finite state instead of seeing that the brilliance and the amazingness of who Jesus is, is that he was man and fully God, that he was pure and holy, that there is no darkness in him. 
There is no hidden evil or motive within God. God isn't out to get you. He's not out to get me. He's not out to get the world. You're like, well, he's out to get that guy that cut me off in traffic because I tell you what. No, he's not. He's for that person, even if I'm not. You guys, he so loved the world that he gave. He loves the world. He didn't come to the world to condemn them. This is John 3, 16 and 17. He came so that they might have life through his name. God loves people. He wants people. He reveals himself to people. He's not hiding and he's not compromising. That's true character. Church, we have to be like God in this way. We can't hide and we can't compromise. We can't allow ourselves to be watered down. John wants us to never question whether God is good or not. He is absolutely good. And when I don't understand it, it's, it's me. It's us. When I can't process, and trust me, I understand, sometimes it's hard to process the goodness of God, isn't it? It's really hard to process how God is good when I'm going through this or when I'm struggling with that. That's the reality of being believers. How can I be going through this and God's still good? It just, it doesn't seem right. It's a problem with my ability to comprehend it. It's not God. Scripturally, over and over again, we are told God is good. God is light. God is holy. God is pure. It's always going to come down to something that I don't understand, that I can't process. And you guys, that's okay. Sometimes it's a lack of me not paying attention, but sometimes I'm just not going to know. That's where faith comes in. I have to trust him. I have to trust his process. If it comes down to us not knowing how to process things that happen in this world, it's never from a position as to whether God is holy, pure, or loving. He is all of those things, 100%. God is love. God is light. God is pure and holy. And you guys... It's a matter of my lack of understanding and lack of vision to see his purpose in these things. And that's what should make me run to him even more. It ought to make us run to God even more when we realize that we don't have all the answers. Because he does. And he loves us more than we could ever imagine. So God is light. He's self-revealing. He's pure and holy. But that statement also teaches us of the guidance of God. And this is something that's encouraging to me when I feel like I don't have a good idea of where the Lord's going. Sometimes it's clear. Morally, it's clear. We know what God expects of us scripturally. But do you ever struggle with the direction of your life? Like, I don't know if I should take this job or not. I don't know if I should go to this school or not. I don't know if we should move or stay. Do you struggle with those things and you wrestle in prayer? That's okay. It's okay to wrestle in prayer and struggle with, I don't know what we should do here. I don't have all the answers. That's all right. Because God's guidance is for us. And the psalmist declares in Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. His word is a light for the path ahead. God is light and he is synonymous with his word. Therefore, his word is a lamp for our feet and a light for the path ahead of us. And Oftentimes, what I struggle with the most, and I know about you guys, but what I struggle with the most is I can't see far enough down that path. I want to see farther than he's allowed me to see. That's okay. It's okay to take that frustration to God. 
to go to him and be like, I want to see more of the path and be like, no, this is all you need to see right now. As a parent, don't we understand that? We look at our kids and go, you don't need to know that right now. Trust me. Trust me on this. You're not ready for this, but, but trust me for this part of it. We'll get there. God treats us the same way. He's like, you're not ready to see that. Do you know why God oftentimes, at least in my experience, has not shown me the next step? It's because I'd freak out and run the other direction. I would. And I told people this so many times as the Lord called us to step out and plan a new ministry. I said it over and again. They're like, well, what's, what's kind of the big picture vision? I was like, well, I have an idea. But right now I see the step in front of us. And that's the one we need to take. The next one will appear as I make that step and get my foot firmly on that one, then the next step will appear. And a lot of times you're like, I want to know how we're getting across the dead marshes, right? I want to know how we're going to get to the other side. And he's like, one step at a time is how we get there. Because if you saw the whole picture, you'd freak out and you probably wouldn't do it. But God is so faithful and he walks us through those steps, one step at a time. The path that is lit for us is his path and it's a safe path. And not only are we given the guidance of God through the light of his presence and word, but we too are to be a guiding light for others. I want to bring that into the resemblance picture yet again. It's not just about following what the Lord is doing. Do you realize that through us as a city on a hill, as a light that we're supposed to be resembling the Lord, we are to be lighting the path for others. We're to be lighting the path for people around us. This is where the fellowship and the investment and the encouragement of the body comes in. When you're struggling with something, we ought to have the church around us saying, it's okay, here's what the Lord's doing, we'll walk with you through it. We become light in each other's lives, reflecting that goodness of God. It's not just like, well, go read your Bible and the Lord will show you something. <laughs> be warm and filled. That's, that's exactly what we're told not to do. We're told to be involved with each other, to bear one another's burdens, to restore each other back, to walk with each other through life. So church, are you in other people's lives right now, walking with them? Are you providing light for the steps ahead? Are you showing them what the Lord has done in your life? Are you declaring it like John does so that you can encourage other people? Yes, this is why we need to be a family. We need to be functioning together because God has called us to live this out in each other's lives as an extension of himself. The church ought to be light as Jesus is light because we've been purified and cleansed by him. We've been filled with his spirit to do so. I love this quote from Spurgeon. He said, the moment you find the light and realize that the world is in the dark, run away with your match and lend somebody else a light. The moment that you have it and you realize you live in a dark world, find someone to light the way for. Find somebody that you can reveal God to. And here's the thing. They will see his character in who you are, not who you say you are. They're going to see his character in how you live, not what you talk about. That's the difference between reputation and character. You can build up this big case. I can build up this big case for who I am, but people are going to know who I am by watching how I live. And that's why Jesus didn't just preach and then go hide away in the back room. He didn't sit in the green room, come out and hmm, and then go back and hide in the green room again, right? He was eating meals with the disciples. He was walking the roads with them. They were watching him interact with demon-possessed people. If you want your friends to know how you can handle trials, find some demon-possessed people. Seriously, it will put you to the test. It'll show how desperate you can become in a very quick time. 
But here's the thing. If you guys want people to know who you are, you have to live life with them. You have to walk on the path with them. You can't just talk about it. You guys, God is light. There is absolutely no darkness in him. And now you know why. I almost only taught one verse this week. Okay, verses six and seven. If we say, he continues, if we say we have fellowship with him, and yet we walk in darkness, we are lying and are not practicing the truth. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. We cannot forget at this juncture, at this moment as he's writing, that John is dealing with heretical teaching in the church. He's dealing with heretics in the church that are saying that Jesus was not fully man, that he was not fully God, that he didn't do the things that he said he did, or he wasn't the person that he says he was. And John says this really clear. If you say that you have fellowship with them, but you're walking in darkness and you're lying, that's the evidence. That's the character. What you say doesn't matter if your character is something different. And so he says, we can't say that we're in fellowship with God when we refuse to submit to his authority. He makes it very simple. If we say that which our character does not support, we're lying. If we talk big, but we don't live what we say, it's a lie. And he doesn't soften it or allow us any excuses. That's why I really like the apostle John. Because not only is he sensitive, not only is he very um, passionate and compassionate in his writing style, he's very honest too. And it's not a negative thing for us. It's not something intended to break us down. It's something to call us to a very sober look at who we are and to accept the challenge that God has said, I will help you grow in this. I'm going to walk with you through this. As one theologian said, between saying and being, between saying and doing, there may be all the difference in the world. Between saying and being, between saying and doing, there may be all the difference in the world. Our lives have to reflect the goodness of God. C.H. Dodd said, the church is a society of people who believing in a God of pure goodness accept the obligation to be good like him. Not our own version. This isn't about me finding a version or a brand of goodness or Christianity. It's about me looking as much like Jesus as I can possibly be. And not, it's not a paint job. This is absolute and complete renovation. This is new creation. This is stuff that God does from within. And am I opening every door? Am I opening my heart at every juncture to allow him to do that? Fellowship with God means that we love and enjoy his goodness. We love and enjoy his goodness. Do you love and enjoy the goodness of God on a regular basis? When was the last time, and I have to think about this for myself as well, when was the last time we stopped in the middle of the day and just thanked God for his goodness and just told him, man, I love you. Just love how good you are, how encouraging you are, what a blessing it is to know you. If you want a healthy relationship with people, you say that often, don't you? If you want your friendships to be healthy, you tell your friends that you love them and that you appreciate them. If you want a healthy relationship with God, you need to express your love and your affection to God. He expresses it to you. 
A lot of times I think we're so busy we aren't listening. He expresses it all the same. Lord, grant us ears that are open. Fellowship with God means that we love and enjoy his goodness. And it means the closer we get to him and the more his light reveals our sin while simultaneously we desire to be free of that sin he reveals. There's something happening on both sides of it. As I spend more time with the Lord, his light starts to reveal more. As you get closer to the light, you see more, right? Take a flashlight, you shine it in your cabinet from like five feet off. You're going to see a little bit better than you would if you didn't. What happens if you get right inside there and put your head inside the cabinet? None of us have ever done this, right? Spouse walks in the room and your rear end's hanging out of the cabinet and you're in there with this flashlight. What'd you do? <laughs> you know, I heard a thwoop. I want to know where it came from. No, but you're in there and you get in there with the flashlight and you get the light right on. How well do you see it the closer you get with your light? You see it better and better. You see in more detail and you see a lot more of what the real problem is, right? You might be guessing five feet off, but you know when you get in the midst of it and you get the light right on it. The closer we get to the Lord and his light, the more we grow in our relationship with him, the more his light is revealing sin. I love spending time with the older generation, the older generations. I won't say older generation, but the older generations. And you know what's fascinating is I have yet to find a believer, an older believer that I've spent time with that said, yeah, like my sin problem's gone. It's history. Like I, I hit 70 and sin was gone. Poof. It's like, wow, he has completed the good work he began in me. <laughs> Praise the Lord. First of all, way out of context. Second of all, that's not the case. Most of the time they're like, I realize now, even more so what a sinner I am. Because the closer I get to the Lord, the more he reveals. But you know what's interesting? That's not driving them away from him, is it? It's making them want to get closer. Because the closer you get to the Lord, you understand that as he reveals, you start to understand his love for you even more. And you love me. And you want me. The gospel starts to fill that gap. We start to understand our brokenness as that line drops off. And we start to see his holiness as that rises. And the cross just grows bigger and bigger and bigger throughout our lives. Because the gospel showing you, you cannot sin your way out of his love. He saw you in all your vileness and your wretchedness. And as much as we long to see him face to face and to truly know him, that's what, the, that's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13. He says, we long to know him as we are already known. He already knows us. He already sees you. You don't have to pretend. And he loves you. And he wants you. And his heart is for you. As we get older, we're going to see more as we get close to the Lord. And we're going to press in as hard as we can. Because it's just revealing more of his love for us, more of his grace. We can never, ever deceive ourselves that our sin doesn't matter anymore. That this sin doesn't matter because God's light reveals it and we become more aware of it. Our sin ought to repulse us as we draw nearer to the Lord, as we beg him to cleanse us over and over and over again. Never normalize sin. Hate it in the way God hates it. Detest your sin, not because you're such a horrible person. We all don't deserve salvation, but Jesus has made a sacrifice that is so sufficient that it has cleansed us and has a continuing sanctifying effect that when we become aware of more sin, when we see our brokenness more clearly, 
God's grace is sufficient and overwhelming it. Do you feel, like I do, less able, less prepared, less confident with who you are on your own every day that you're alive? Because it's interesting. I thought I would feel more confident as I taught the scriptures. I thought I would feel more confident as a pastor as the years went by as now it's been a decade and a half. And it's like, oh, surely I'll be just more confident in being a pastor and leading people and experience and all these things. I actually feel more naked than I ever have. I feel less prepared. I feel less equipped. And I know exactly why. Because the Lord has grown my relationship with him and I'm getting to see more and more each day who I actually am. And you know what's amazing about that? My calling still stands because the Lord is the one who works through me to will and to work according to his good pleasure. I'm in his hands. I don't excuse my sin. I call it sin. We have to recognize it and call it what it is. You guys, we cannot lie to ourselves through claiming this new life and not agreeing with God that our sin destroys us. We can't hear what his word says here, that God is light, there's no darkness in him, that if we say that we have fellowship, if we say that we have fellowship with God and yet we are not living it, that we're liars. We can't be doers of the word and not hearers only, or but be doers of the word, James says in 122, of the word and not hearers only. We can't be those who just listen to it but don't actually live it. We, we, we talk about it or we read it, but that becomes reputation, I want this church to be known for its character, not its reputation. I want us as people to be known for our character and not our reputation. That's what we ought to be known for. We don't want to be deceiving ourselves in the same way John urges us to fellowship in truth. He reveals something vital. Truth is the creator of fellowship. Fellowship in truth. We have to be open and honest with each other. We can't wear masks. Not here. Not anywhere. That means that true Christianity will bring us together in that truth. It won't separate us. And anything that destroys fellowship has ceased to be true when it comes in between believers. Anything that destroys fellowship has ceased to be true when it comes to believers in Jesus. If it drives us apart, there's something wrong. It's not okay. It's a powerful challenge for me to not excuse, well, something's off. And hey, at times, people are going to do what they're going to do, and I can't control that. But have I gone to the utmost extent as I possibly can to be at peace with all men, with all people, to encourage fellowship, to restore relationships, because that's what Christ has done for me. It's a challenge to walk in the light as he himself is in the light because it's here in the light that we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. In that fellowship, in that unity, as we walk in the light, it's here that we are renewed. Notice that when my walk with the Lord, that's vertical. When my walk with the Lord, my fellowship, my relationship with God is as it should be, that being in the light and in obedience to him, then my fellowship with you, my horizontal, is as it should be. I think a lot of times we forget that what's going on between us, when we have conflict, when we have problems, we forget to look and see where we're at with the Lord in the midst of it. And if we would stop, all of us, 
when there is a break in fellowship here, if we would stop and look at the Lord and say, what's wrong with my fellowship here? What's between you and I? If both parties would do that, when people have conflict, do you realize that those conflicts would be resolved? Because if people will align their hearts with the Lord and their fellowship with him vertically, it fixes fellowship amongst believers here. It fixes it right here and now. You guys, here's the thing. None of us have done this perfectly. None of us. I have blown up relationships. I'm just going to step out on a limb and say most of us, if not all, have blown up relationships. We've had difficulties relationally with people. We've struggled with this. This is not condemnation. It is encouragement that we can be restorative believers if we focus on our walk with the Lord and then let that pour out onto each other. If we let the restorative work that Christ has done in our hearts extend as light into each other's lives. And it means that we're going to have to say two words that are very difficult for us to say very often. And that is, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Some of you in this room, I've failed. I've made mistakes. I've said things I shouldn't have hurt your feelings. Some people maybe watching online have offended you. If it was on me and it was something that I said and did, my attitude, I apologize. I'm sorry. We need to be open to do that. We need to make these things right. Do you know what's beautiful about, about my relationship with so many of the young guys that came up through um, my Bible class when they were young, they were growing up, and the last 10 years that we spent together is we've been very open to apologize to each other. If one of us has said something dumb, we've gone back to the other person and said, I shouldn't have said that, that was stupid. Or we're open to go to the other one and be like, dude, what you said, that was offensive. You should, shouldn't talk like that. It's not okay. We can approach each other about these things and be open. May that be said about all of us. Be open to talk to each other about these things. This upset me. This offended me. It's okay. Let's talk about it. Let's love each other back. Let's restore each other back. It's in that place when our fellowship is right with the Lord and he extends that horizontally to each other. That is where our fellowship becomes so much more powerful than fellowship and friendship that's based on hobby that's based on life experience or generational age, that place when we are right with the Lord and we are letting him minister to us amongst the body is where our church becomes a multi-ethnic, multi-generational, Christ-honoring, others-loving and serving church. And that's where we want to be. Amen? That's where we want to be. We want people to walk in these doors and know that we love them. They need to come in this place and be like, that is the most hospitable church. Little weird, but totally hospitable. And I felt so welcomed by them. That's okay. That's all right. That's how it should be. We should not base our fellowship on our geographical location, on our upbringing, on our age, on our hobbies. It is based on who Christ has made us to be. And that is his body, his church under his leadership. You guys, our fellowship is founded on our obedience to God who is light and gives us light and indwells us with light so that we can be that relational, affectionate, hospitable, and generous family. And that's what I long to see us be, and I think it's happening. I really do. I think it's happening right here. It's going to take more time because we're not there yet. But you know, each day we're getting closer and closer. And I think all the time, day by day, constantly and consistently, the blood of Jesus ought to be carrying 
out a cleansing process in the lives of every single one of us as we live that way. It ought to be having a continual sanctifying effect. We're becoming aware and we're receiving forgiveness and cleansing. And we're extending that to each other because we understand this to be true. You guys, the sacrifice of Christ is not only what has atoned for our past sin, but the sacrifice of Jesus is equipping us in holiness day by day. It's a continual work. It's not just something he did in your life however many years ago. The work of Christ is at work in you now. It's continuing. It's moving on. It's growing you. Those who claim to have fellowship with God who is altogether light and yet who walk in the dark, John says, are lying. John's laying down the blunt truth that those who say one thing with their lips and another thing with their lives are liars. We must understand this. He's not thinking of those who try their hardest and yet fail. That's why I really emphasize over and again, this is not condemnation. H.G. Wells said, a man may be a very bad musician and may yet be passionately in love with music. I love that quote because I know a lot of people who love music but are really bad musicians. (laughs) And here's the point behind that. You guys, John isn't saying that those of us who make mistakes are liars. He's saying those who intentionally reject and intentionally don't listen to the call of God to walk in obedience, he's saying those people are liars. But church, if we're walking in such a way that we are striving to be more like Jesus and and looking to him and, and we trip and we fall, but we get up and the Lord encourages us and we go forward again, that is not inauthentic Christianity. That is authentic Christianity in its true form. We may be very conscious of our failures, and yet be passionately in love with Christ and the way of Christ. We have to repent from being people who make the highest possible claims to knowledge, to intellectual superiority, to spirituality, and who yet allow ourselves things which we know very well are forbidden. Make no allowance for sin. Give sin no quarter in your life. Give it no quarter. Anyone who claims to love Christ and deliberately disobeys him, that's those who are guilty of the lie, not those who make a mistake and repent of it. Again, this is not condemnation. This is encouragement. Be encouraged, church. God restores us in Christ. Through the power of his blood, he cleanses us and shapes us to resemble his character. And I'm thankful that in so many of our lives, we can attest to the fact that we are not who we once were and we are not done yet. We are not who we once were and the Lord has not completed us yet but we will be he's promised to with that in mind let's bow our heads and close our eyes and invite the worship team up i want to read two verses from psalm 139 and then i'll pray but as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed as you think about the restorative power of jesus uh, through his blood as we think about who we were dead in our trespasses and sin and who Christ has made us because of his sacrifice, not of works. None of us can boast as we think of who we were before we knew him and how wonderful and magnificent Jesus is. There is no fear in confessing sin. There is no fear 
in allowing the Lord to draw in closer and closer. As he lays out the path before us to restoration, some of us will take a different path than others. But for all of us, I hope that these words are on our lips for the rest of our lives. From Psalm 139, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. See if there is any offensive way in me. Lead me in the everlasting way. Lord, you are endlessly patient. You are kind. You're compassionate. You're convicting. You're gracious. And Lord, you are love and you are light. Thank you, God, that your character is so evidently seen in your word. Lord, that the work of your hands, every person that's here, speaks of your character and your nature. Lord, help us to, as a church, every single one of us, to embrace that sin is a deviation from our created purpose. To see it the way that you see it, God, and that that's not what you created us for, but God, that you created us in Christ Jesus for good works. And that you've empowered us to do those things. Lord, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ. When we fall, when we fail, show us more and more every day that we walk this earth, that we can confess that to you and to others to walk with each other through these seasons of difficulty. Lord, and, and that's not just for a couple weeks. Maybe you're calling some of us to walk with each other for decades, side by side, picking each other up when we stumble, praying over each other, sharing scripture, sharing meals together, sharing life together. Lord, draw us into community that looks like that. We all desperately need it. And for some of us, Lord, we're hesitant. It's a little bit too much vulnerability. But Jesus, you were so vulnerable. You were so open with us. You were so humble. We thank you, Lord, for your word. I pray, God, that this would encourage us. I ask, Lord, that these people would see that you love them more than they ever have. Lord, that we would enjoy doing life together. That we would enjoy the work that you've given us in this community to co-labor through. Lord, that we would enjoy being in each other's homes and building fences and eating really good food together. Singing songs. Sharing in struggles. Even shedding tears together. Make us a family. We thank you, Lord, and we worship you now.